When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. Well, it's time for the big picture. This is Roger Huber now joined by Aaron Suttles of The Athletic. And Aaron, you took quite a big picture when you were at Kyle Field on Saturday night as the fans rushed the field after the game-winning field goal for Texas A&M. Just what can you tell us about the scene and of all the environments you've been to in your career? Was that one of the craziest? It definitely was. And, you know, I have seen now, Roger, so many rushing of the fields. (laughs) Every time a team beats Alabama, it's it's almost become commonplace, and you get it. And it, it's I know Alabama fans hate losing. I know that it affects their emotional well being. But you have to think you're going to look back on this one day and, and be like, every time someone beat Alabama, it was it was worthy of them rushing the field. And I think that speaks to where Alabama is in this moment in history. Um, you know, I, I would have had a better feel for the environment. Texas A&M is really high up the press box, and it's a closed. Uh, it's a closed press box, really kind of like Tennessee. You, you sort of feel like you're away from the action. I said after the Florida game, that was the loudest crowd I'd been to. I, I imagine I would have probably thought the same thing at Texas A&M because it was really loud. But because we're behind that enclosed glass, you lose sort of how loud it actually was. But it was a great environment for college football. Well, a loss for the Crimson Tide snapping a long winning streak. And like you mentioned, it's a momentous occasion when teams beat Alabama, it feels like. I mean, fans can still recite the names of Stephen Garcia or Cam Newton or all these different quarterbacks that have stepped up throughout the years. Just have there been some common threads to Alabama losses in the Nick Saban era that you've seen that showed up again on Saturday? Yeah, I think one – I want to be careful here because I think too often – you want to give – you want to be respectful of the team that beat Alabama and say they played great. But at the same time, Alabama usually has a lot of mistakes. Um, the, the, 
interception in the end zone, being in the red zone so many times and not scoring touchdowns, um, a kickoff return for a touchdown. So just things that you don't normally see. Um, but having said that, Texas a won the football game. Um, they gave up a big lead and, and went back and, and came back and won it in the fourth quarter with 10 straight points. So I, I do think quarterbacks have generally a, a really good day. The, the fact that he throws the game time touchdown, get hit in the mouth and sort of lays there on the field is sort of I, iconic now, I think, for Texas A&M. But generally, you have to have really good quarterback play to beat Alabama. And you have to have a couple of breaks go your way. And, and that's what happened with the Aggies. Also for this Crimson Tide team, uh, early on in the ballgame, you lose Malachi Moore to the targeting penalty and ejection. How do you feel like that affected the defense the rest of the night? Well, I, I think one, Jimbo Fisher is a really talented offensive mind. So he, he had scripted Alabama pretty well those first couple drives. And you know, it's just you lose Malachi on the third play of the game. It's automatic. It's a loud environment. So um, I didn't think it did Alabama any favors. They looked, um, they looked out of sorts. I don't think communication was very good. And, you know, Brian, Brian Branch has played a lot of football for Alabama. So I don't necessarily think it's Brian Branch. I just think um, that threw them for a loop, those, that, that first couple of series until they got their sort of bearings about them. And then they, they played better from there on out up until about the fourth quarter. And then for the offense, again, a tough start. Alabama's down 24 to 10. But what did the offense get right in the second half when Alabama was building back and eventually took 38-31 lead? You know, I think two guys really come to mind that, that played really – well, let me let me say three. Because um, I think Bryce Young, and I, I tweeted this yesterday, has faced a lot of unfair criticism. Um, he played great. He was under a lot of pressure. He got sacked four times. And so he didn't have the best protection. It was a loud environment. So I thought he played great. But two two of the other guys that I thought played tough and gave Alabama a chance to win, one, Brian Robinson. I mean, what a story – Guy's sticking around for his fifth year and is really paying off. He's really sort of become the workhorse running back, uh, sort of a la Derrick Henry in 2015. I mean, he's now had over 50 carries the last two games. So we hadn't really seen that since 2015 with Alabama running back. So his toughness um, really impressed me. And then Jamison Williams has made, made some tough catches, is explosive down the field, vertical threat. I think without those two guys, Alabama would have been in a world of hurt Saturday night. So they really showed me the toughness. And I think some other guys can learn from that. You know, guys that drop passes in key moments can learn from those two guys about uh, about performing in that kind of environment. When we visited you with you before the season and you were getting ready to release a great story and it turned out to be a great story on Will Anderson Jr. talking about the kind of leader he is, kind of person he is, as well as a dominant athlete on the field. Uh, what did you make of his comments Monday as he once again is trying to lead this football team? He tried to do the same thing after the Florida game and said, how many guys listened? Yeah, Roger, you put out a great uh, sort of compilation of his, of his press comments. It means something to him. It means something to him. It hurt him that they lost. And the fact I think he's I think he's now becoming more comfortable about being that leader that will call guys out, you know. And there's different ways that can take form and take shape in a locker room. I mean, you can be the sort of intimidating, intimidating physical guy in your face that you're scared of, or you can be the guy that you that that you respect. And I think that's sort of where Will Anderson falls. If people respect him, the fact that he called his teammates out and said, "Listen, we thought we had this correct after Florida, but the message didn't get home to some people," and the fact that he was very thoughtful with his comments, and it means something to him. He's talking about making football the number one thing in your life. Um, and we all have to have prioritize, you know, school and, and family and, and faith and all that in that. But I think where he is in that moment, he was emotional, and it hurt him to lose. And I think it, 
I think if that's the he's the sort of emotional barometer of that locker room, they're in a good spot. But I think more people need to lead by example, like Will Anderson, because he's someone that that game losing that game, you know, sort of hurt him. And I don't know how many people in that locker room can say the same thing on the same level as Will Anderson. Well, that was interesting as well. In your story on Saturday, you had comments from former Crimson Tide players who were tweeting out some of their thoughts during the game. Uh, in your experience, former Alabama players that have once played for the Crimson Tide, gone on to the NFL, when they see a game like that, can they help this current team out behind closed doors? Have you heard stories of that before? I think depending on how far they are removed from it, I think, you know, I mentioned a reference to guys, one with Mark Ingram and two, Devontae Smith, and both of those guys are obviously Heisman Trophy winners. But I think you know, Devontae has a voice still in that locker room because most of those guys there now still played with him last year, and they saw his sort of work ethic that he put in. Um, I think Mark's a little further further removed from it, but I think when, you, when you've been in that brotherhood, you have a voice, um, no matter how far you are removed from it. And the fact that they felt comfortable enough to, to put that out there on the social media, you know, I don't know how closely Devontae – I imagine he's still pretty in pretty good contact with John Mechie. Um, that wide receiver room that, that he was in. And I do think they would listen to him. How could you not respect what Devontae Smith accomplished and what he did last season? And you saw over the course of four years the work that he put in to get better. So I, I definitely think he still has a voice in, in that locker room. Speaking of John Mechie, one of your latest articles looks at John Mechie and the role he's had for Alabama this season. What did you learn in researching for that article? Yeah, I, th- I think it's just really tough what's being asked of him this year. Now, he went from his freshman year being – you know, probably the fifth option, still got playing time with fifth option last year, would have been the third option. And then all of a sudden, he's the number one guy. And, you know, I think Nick Saban put some good context on it during his Monday uh, afternoon press conference. And that Matchy's not exactly 100% healthy. So it's affecting his preparation in some regard. Maybe he's not able to practice as much as he'd like. But he's having trouble living up right now. I, you know, the numbers bear out of, of him sort of living up to that wide receiver one on the team. You know, he's you know ranked 22nd in effectiveness in the SEC in terms of receivers. So I don't think anyone would have expected that coming into this season. Um, he, he seems to me, and again, I'm watching the television version and I'm watching live from a stadium. I don't have the all 22 uh, film available, but, it, you know, at first glance watching it live, it looks like he's having uh, trouble creating separation, getting open. There's always someone around to either break up the pass or tackle him right after he gets uh, he makes the catch. So I think that's an issue. And I just the wide receivers aren't getting as open this year. And, you know, that's somewhat to be expected when you lose the talent that you lost last year. But even in man coverage, um, which, you know, you would think is a wide receiver's dream to be able to get open, he's having trouble separating. So I I think right now his health is preventing him a little bit. And I wonder where his confidence level is at this point in the season. Now that we're six games into the season, what do you think we've learned about Bill O'Brien, Alabama's offensive coordinator, as a play caller? I think he's being unfairly, um, you know, compared to Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian's a um, really innovative um, offensive coordinator. And the last time we saw Steve Sarkeesian coordinating an Alabama offense, it was a historic offense. They were that good. I mean, they had the best offensive line. They had the best wide receivers. They had a once-in-a-generation running back like Najee Harris. So he had a lot of tools in his toolbox to call plays from. Bill O'Brien doesn't have that. They're, not, they're talented. The offensive line has issues. There's been issues at right tackle. There's been issues at center. Um, I think running back's been pretty good, but the depth isn't where they'd like it now that, you know, they've lost a couple of guys. 
And the wide receiver unit we just talked about isn't as good. And, and that's no that's no slight to the guys that are there now performing their hardest. It's just, uh, you know, facts that they don't have a Devontae Smith. They don't have Jalen Waddle. So I don't think Bill O'Brien has um, the same tools in his toolbox to call plays from as Sark did last year. Having said that, I think he's done an okay job. I think most people now looking back on it wish he would have ran the ball at least once inside the red zone there when they passed three consecutive times. But to me, that signals – at least a lack of trust on that offensive line to pick up the push that you're going to need to run on goal line situation. So, um, but you know, when Nick Saban comes out and says, I don't think we tested A&M's run defense like we should have or could have, I think that's questioning a little bit Bill O'Brien, but for the most part with a first year starting quarterback and in sort of the drop in weapons that they've had from last year to this year, it's been pretty successful. They scored 38 points on the road in Texas A&M. They should have won that football game. Offense is not why they lost. Defense is why they lost. Well, we started this conversation talking about common characteristics for an Alabama loss, but let's talk about common characteristics of an Alabama bounce back because we've seen that before. We've seen some long winning streaks right after a game like this. So what needs to happen for this football team starting with Saturday at Mississippi State? Well, it started Monday. And I think that's where if they're going to bounce back like, like they have traditionally, you know, it's because they paid more attention throughout the week and they put in better preparation because they know now that they can lose. And Nick Saban talks about that constantly with don't waste the failure. That's what he's talking about. He's like, by the time you get to the game Saturday, you know, you, you've already determined what sort of week you've had, how prepared you are for that game. And that starts on Monday. So, you know, if the team was mentally sharp, if they come out and ready to practice and they're not worried about bumps and bruises and they have good energy, then they'll be fine. But one thing I do, you know, Nick Saban said this Monday is, you know, Mike Leach is going to throw the ball 50, 60 times. And, you know, teams have had some success throwing at Alabama. So, um, it's going to come down to a defense again, but you know, how they perform Saturday is determined through Monday through Thursday or Friday. Anything special we should look forward to in the athletic and your coverage of Alabama as we get ready for Mississippi state or any other special features we may see in the next few weeks. Yeah. I'm going to be writing in a, a sort of a look at the defense and, and what's going on with it. Um, you know, everyone has a favorite culprit that I won't mention, but, uh, I think we all figured out who it is and just looking at, you know, what, what the, what the problem in Alabama defense is because, because for so long, it was just a given they were a top five unit nationally. And that has not been the case for the last three or four years. Well, I look forward to reading your work uh, covering Alabama football and the athletic. Just Aaron, thank you so much for joining us here on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. We'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.